0: everybody, to another edition of "Are You Not Entertained?" A question we can park until the end of the show, and you can answer it then. But in the meantime, between now and then, I am joined by two of the most entertaining people around, Roger Mitchell and Giles Morgan, gentlemen. How are you, Rog? Everything good in Lake Como?
1: Everything's good. It's a little bit early to to fit in with your schedule, other side of the world, but um, we'll make it work. It's early for me. I'm getting old, Grant.
0: What can I tell you, Giles? <laughs> it's uh, it's the, an hour earlier still in the UK, and you He's look young. He's young as
2: always. I'm so much younger and fitter than Rog that I've been up for probably an hour doing calisthenics, big stretches, lunges, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah, nothing. It's breeze for me. Unfortunately, breeze. Giles, by
0: calling it calisthenics, you've just <laughs> aged yourself way beyond anything <laughs> that would know, potentially make that a true statement. So, nice try. <laughs> Thank you. But before we
1: get started, can we just uh, congratulate the captain on the wonderful new gig that he's got? Um, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that, Giles, because it's
2: just great news for us on the show. Tell us a little bit what's happened. Oh, Tish, Tish. Um, Roger, I thought you wouldn't embarrass me, but um, yes, our friends at Howden Group, who we've heard a lot from Elliot Richardson um, in, in recent times, they're going through a, a, a sort of major major period of growth in their history, and I think they feel that sponsorship can play a role in that international development. So they've... Um, very very kindly asked me to to join and to be part of uh, what is a very fast growing and very exciting new company. So I'm having to put on a suit again for the first time in five and a half years. So from next Monday i've I've had to <laughs> it's a little embarrassing actually I, I, I went to the to the cupboard to have a look at my old whistle and there were two parts of it which mean that I'm going to have to buy another one in Hong Kong where I'm about to go is one moth moth holes everywhere in said suit. And secondly, I couldn't actually get it around my waist. So, um, yeah, <laughs> five and a half years—things have changed. <laughs> Funny old world. Funny old world. I think that I think it's great, Giles.
1: Uh, uh, and apart from uh, heartfelt congratulations, I, I, I want to ask you a little bit uh, because you now take on, I think, uh, an extra role—not a different role—an extra role uh, in this threesome, which is that uh, you become now a buyer in the sports industry. Uh, you are managing a budget for a, a major a major corporate that's looking to do things in sponsorship and and I, I want to ask you it is a three four years now we've been talking about you know decks that you see the the things that are wrong uh, how people are in sport are still not approaching it correctly is, is this the moment that you now say well, I'm not only going to talk about it now, I'm going to put it into action. And this is what I'm going to be expecting from
2: rights holders. Yeah, I think it is, Roger. And, and your excellent Sunday column uh, that came out um, at the weekend, which talked about, well, we've talked about it for so long, but we've talked about the value of the fan base. Um, the thing that I'm in, interested in doing, and I, <laughs> kind of this is where the rubber hits the road, I've been talking theoretically about how valuable sponsorship can be. Um, Now I've got an opportunity to try and look through sponsorship again through the lens of what does it mean for for big corporations, of which clearly the fan base is everything. So I'll be very interested to see as a sort of litmus test of how much rights holders have um, been listening to us and others sort of decry or absolutely imploring the industry to change so uh, yeah i think put it this way i'll I'll be looking at sponsorship in quite a different way to how i how i used to through the learning i've had through this podcast actually i the the journey for me has been talking with you guys and our our many guests about how this world is changing so um feeling a bit of pressure i mean you know i'm in my oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) and also i'm not that young anymore it's um it's a young person's game. That the particularly the sponsorship world, people bouncing out to go to events, and I'm sort of creaking a bit, but it is the calisthenics, literally. So uh, we'll see how we go. Excellent, good stuff. Congratulations. You can't
0: have it both ways, Jos. You, you're you're Schrodinger's groundsman. You're you're both uh, old and young at the same time. (laughs) I dread to think which way that will resolve itself. Well, uh, uh, Charles, why why don't you carry on and and talk a little bit about what uh, we are going to talk about today because we have another um, interesting conversation to have and you've already begun it.
2: Yes, so um, Falcon. They're responsible for events like the Dubai Desert Classic for the Dubai World Cup of Racing, which has just been, and for the Dubai Sevens. So they're a pretty major player in Dubai. They very kindly sponsored um, the first show, which was called um, the Falcon Series, which we had uh, Poro Carrington, which you'll remember yep. four or five weeks ago, where Paddy was playing in the Dubai Desert Classic, and he talked to us about his views on the world of golf and particularly live, which was was brilliant and fantastic insight from one of uh, the most loquacious um, golfers around, that's for sure. In this, the, this, the second part, um, we want to talk a little bit, and it's so very apposite with what's going on in the in the world about sport within the Middle East. We obviously had the World Cup, we've. Uh, um recently, in the last four months, we're seeing an enormous amount of sport coming through Saudi, and that's going to grow. And places like Dubai, and and to a lesser extent Abu Dhabi, but particularly Dubai, they've been doing sport for years. Um, you think the Dubai Desert Classic started in 1989. That becomes a granddaddy golf tournament. That's not a new boy. That's, no. a, that's very much established. So th- really, this show, I think we want to talk about, firstly, why is sport Um, heading towards the Middle East, and that is clearly a reaction to to the growth and and, and the the petrodollar growth that we've been seeing and you guys have talked about. Then talk a little bit about some of those sports, things that have worked well in in the Middle East, and where do we see that going and what needs to happen? There are many who think that that Live Golf, you know, the disruption's great, but are they doing it properly? Is it being done well enough to, to, to really, is the product good enough effectively? And then maybe talk a little bit about some of the sports out there that are either um, adapting to, 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 to change. You know, we think about cricket or other sports which are literally coming in from nowhere, red hot, trying to to win the hearts and minds of, of a younger generation. So this will be a, a cracking chat, particularly to, to maybe to explain to people why the Middle East is going to continue to play such a role um, within the sporting world globally. Well, let's, let's
0: start the conversation in the place that you suggested, Giles, and talk about um, what's happening in the Middle East. Because, you know, there are, there are two components to this, right? And um, there is the money side of it, and the, and the Gulf states have, have long uh, been very, very wealthy. I mean, they've literally got money flowing out of the ground, which is about the easiest way to get it as I can think of. Um, but then, of course, in, in recent years, we've had all the discussions about sports washing. And you can't have half of this conversation. You have to have both sides of it. And I think it's important that we do that. So let, let's talk a little bit about um, the money coming uh, out of the golf and, and why lately it seems to have picked up the pace. Because as you say, the Dubai Desert Classic goes back to the late 1980s. Um, Dubai has been a hotbed for golf for for a long, long time. Um, and you know, not really for me, certainly between the golf, the rugby and a little bit of tennis, that's been the extent of its, of its sporting ambition for a long, long time Giles, but they've been very, very successful, you know, particularly in the golf side of things, you know, the golf in, in Dubai has been, um, a phenomenal success. You know, it's something that you followed and charted from its very early
2: days. It's right. I mean, the the Dubai Desert Classic, I remember when it started in, in, in 1989, it was quite a fanfare. They had some big branding. It looked quite big and brash, but also the incredulity that you could play. And we're going back quite a long time now, but the thought of playing golf in in, in effectively the desert. And where was the green going to come from? And then there was this beautiful golf course that has emerged and grown and grown and grown through the the brilliance of of, of irrigation and, and the way that courses are set up. And then particularly the Dubai Desert Classic really came of age when Tiger Woods started to win um, in, in the Gulf, which, of course, he was winning everything at that time. And that was always going to put the event on the map. And if you look at the roll call of the Dubai Desert Classic, really the greatest players in the world have won. And most particularly recently, uh, McElroy won this year. It's the third time he's won, I believe. Um, and it starts the golf year, and it's something that the PGA Tour, I think, have always found a little bit irritating. Um, clearly, the PGA Tour is the, is the big tour, but in the days when the European Tour wanted to compete and was, was a proper competitive tour, the... the, the um, the Desert Swing, as it was called in those days, where you had the Dubai Desert Classic, you then had Abu Dhabi coming up and HSBC put money in. You had two really very compelling events at the start of the calendar year that really shook up golf and, and, and made it credible. Um, now the golf calendar's changing again, as we know, for because of the Live versus PGA Tour piece. But the Dubai Desert Classic sits still in the hearts and minds of the fan, and sometimes I think that the, 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 the tours can forget that sometimes it's the events that become the real signal for where you are in, 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 a, in a particular year. And, and the, the appointments to view, as we used to call it, of sports events that you want to watch. And I think the Dubai Desert Classic certainly had that. And now more and more events are coming into the region. And if they do it properly, again proof in the pudding, you can have all the prize money in the world, you can have the best golfers in the world, but you've still got to put the event on in the right way. And that's where I think that, um, I mean, it's funny for me to think I'm, I'm about to be 52. Dubai, I remember Dubai coming into the sports stage and going, oh, it's just the parvenus, really. They don't feel like the parvenus anymore. They feel like the kind of, the, the, the sort of, the, the lead for the, perhaps for the rest of the, for the Middle East to 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 borrow and to emulate from i going forward. Charles, so let me ask you this. Why do you think it
0: is that Dubai has had um, such a long and uninterrupted period of uh, really unchallenged success? Um, you know, why is it you think that there were no brickbats thrown at Dubai for all the money they've poured into sport, and suddenly in the last three or four years we've seen outcry after outcry
2: over any money coming into sport from the Middle East? Um, I think, I don't know the answer, but I think it's because they weren't complacent. When when Sheikh Mohammed and, and, and Dubai started to become the power that it did, and I'm not just talking about sport, I'm talking as a, a global trading area, they didn't have that much oil. It wasn't like there were hundreds of years of oil left for Dubai. So a bit, I think they borrowed a lot from Singapore. I think Singapore became the economic miracle that they there was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, inter conversations between how Singapore had had grown. So I think that Dubai government saw very early on that tourism and business and sport were a, a, a very much an alliance, and therefore to do these things they had to do them properly, and they started ages before anybody else where they had to probably go through the teething planes of it being, as I say, the new boy on the the block. But they did it properly. They invested in the right companies to put on these events. They certainly uh, invested in the right people, but they also understood the fan base. The Dubai Sevens, which is actually much older, the Rugby Sevens is much older than the Dubai Desert Classic. You had the Hong Kong Sevens as the sort of king of the, the Sevens tournaments that kind of grew out Rugby Sevens into what it became. But the second event very much became the Dubai Sevens, and where all of the expatriates from all over the region, a bit like Hong Kong, would come in in December. It was always around the National Day of... Of Dubai. So there was this sense of UAE, UAE Day, I think it's called, where it was a celebration of people coming in. And of course, that ripples because it becomes this appointment to go to events. It becomes on the calendar of a meeting point. And once you create that, particularly in expatriate type areas, what happens is businesses start to be interested in the sponsorship because they can start putting events around the events and start bringing more and more people in. And then you get credibility, particularly where. The, the Emirati is not particularly interested in rugby or golf, but the international community is. And then over time that grows. And I think that those would be the reasons when you look back, the historians would look back and say they established them, themselves on the calendars of the people that mattered
0: have you, are you taken a veil of silence? No, no, sorry, I thought you were going to ask myself. You barely something. said anything. <laughs> okay, let me go. Let me well, go. no, I just... Let i me go. Think let 15 go. minutes in, you've not said no, no, anything, no, no, so no, I, I was feel wait. like you should oh, jump okay. in at some point. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, listen, if you want to take a veil of silence, I'm no,
1: going forward No, 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 I've got, I've got a lot to say, actually. I kind of see it a little bit different. I think what's happening now in the Gulf States is that they aren't doing something for the international community. I think they're doing it for themselves. If you look at Saudi's... 2030 plan. It's to become, you know, the the the, the world's biggest high tech nation, independent of oil. Um, and they are not playing at that. They are investing massively in neon, which is as big a project as the pyramids, if you want to think about it that way. You know, I think it's currently thirty thousand construction workers, and it's gone up to ten times that size. Um, they've also got uh, that other place, what's it called, Cadilla. Um, somebody explained to me that Kedias think of that like Las Vegas, um, whereas Neom think of that as Silicon Valley. Uh, they are transforming their economy. They're going to make sport and entertainment a big part of that because sport is very close to high tech, obviously. And, uh, you know, they're not messing around. The, the other thing, Uh, apart from their own strategy, and this isn't just Saudi, we've seen it with Qatar, and obviously, as you say, the Emirates have been at it for a while, Dubai, first of all. uh, They've got a very, very young demographic uh, population. People tend to think, oh, yeah, they've got the money, but, you know, who's, where are the fans and everything like that? You know, I think 70% of of people in in Saudi are, are less than 30 years old. Uh, which takes us into the theme about, you know, Gen Z and uh, what the difference in sport for them is. I think the time is now right for us to believe that the Middle East is not going to be this kind of like super stage that's created for everybody around the world to come to and, you know, have a great event, the swing in the desert and all that. I think they're going to become the the centre of gravity, They also just are the only game in town left in terms of money. The Americans, I think, uh, in this moment of change in cost of capital that we've talked about so often, I think they're going to step back a little bit. The oligarchs have probably gone. Um, This money in Saudi Arabia and the Gulf is is not price sensitive. They have got a strategic plan to move away from uh, oil and carbon economy. And, you know... Every time I look at this area, my my big question is, how is sport ready to handle this? And sadly, especially with Jay Monaghan, the answer has been resoundingly disappointing. You know, uh, you can debate, live right or wrong all day long. I think what you cannot do is say, live is bad because it's Saudi money. I think as soon as he said that for me, I knew he was a busted flush because, uh, frankly, the West for 50-odd years has had a very clear relationship without any issues whatsoever with uh, Middle East money. And all of a sudden, after 50 years, an American... <laughs> who did the deal with Saudi, uh, with Kissinger and reserve currency and all of that 50 years ago, all of a sudden is saying, um, we don't like the Saudis. I think, I think that's the issue for sport is how they're going to get past the Jim Monaghan's of the world and realize that this is going to be a major player. And it doesn't stop with all of this stuff. Look at what they're doing now with the the football league. I think it's called the SPL, which I find quite interesting because that was my old league. Um, you know, they, they again, they're not doing what the Chinese have done or what the Middle East clubs did 10 years ago and get, you know, a, a whole lot of has-beens and never-will-bees and, and create some kind of, like, they they've got a plan under Gary Cook uh, with an, an amazing board of, of advisors there. They've got a plan to create a top five league in the world. Um, they, they've, they've put money aside to invest in players, serious players. Ronaldo isn't going to be the, the last one. I, I, and I repeat, you know, like, uh, follow the money. They've got, uh, between them, the Gulf States, I think six trillion in wealth funds. Um, they've got a plan to create um, a sports cluster. Think of Silicon Valley for sport. And they've got a very young demographic, which I, I think is under, misunderstood. You know, one of the biggest issues for sport, traditional sport in the West, is that it's old, and the the paying customer is our demographic, our age, and you've got to get the young ones. And 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 the golf has got a young demographic. So you know, when when you, you asked me, Giles, to to talk about this and this this show and everything like that. That that's what I think. I think sport has got his J Mona hat, hat on and it it shouldn't it should be saying these people have got a 10 year strategy to invest in sport and how do I take my sport whichever one they're in charge of and and leverage that big picture to advantage and it's not happening all I heard was oh those nasty Saudis it's just so so wrong for me that it it just kind of like I don't want to get started on it because I won't stop as you've heard but you know this is (laughs) the big big game Giles it's the big game.
2: Well, Roger, it's interesting. I I agree with what you're saying. And this is like if you like sort of Middle East 2.0 or 3.0. I think what the early days showed is that you can put authentic credible events on and i agree i think the dubai strategy way back when was very much about bringing the internationals in now we're reaching a new stage in in human history which is the middle east is absolutely building and building and building as you say cities like neom and this is becoming the new growth area i think though still and 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 this is easy right this is just getting the right people involved is a bit like live what what Grant said in the other show the other day, which I agree with, is there's nothing wrong with, with Live Golf and it, there's nothing wrong with the disruption. I think the strategy of just making it all about money meant that the fan was going, well, th- there's got to be something more. There's got to be authenticity um, sort of blended in. I think if I were now one of the uh, the big GCC um, nation states and I was looking at how to use sport to build um build our economy and all the things we've just talked about i would also be focusing not just on the money and the kind of the lure of filthy lucre but i would also have to start building in narratives start to build in what makes sport much more compelling which is getting to the sort of ed smith side that i know makes you well uh, you see makes you i'm gonna i'm gonna push back
1: on you now especially since now you're a sponsor I'm going to push back on you when you say um, The fan I'll come back to you and say what fan You know, the the Ed Smith type Fan is guys like us Guys, not girls, guys like us You know, and I tend to think You know, when the line is Oh we must make sport authentic Authentic for whom for whom, you know, uh, uh, you've got
2: uh, the. Well, I think human. I would say human beings, and whether they're young or old, doesn't doesn't really matter. You're right. Of course, you've got to appeal to a, a younger demographic, but that still can't just be about brash money with no thought about the narrative, the staging, the 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 kind of what makes. You see, let's take cricket as an example, because we've all got excited about cricket. They've reached out to a younger demographic. It's still quite an old demographic, but it's getting a bit younger. IPL, what it did is it shook up a game, right? And everyone was going, my goodness, look what's going on in Australia and England originally. And then obviously IPL came along and dominated a new league. But what it's also had, which for me and all of us as old old boy cricket fans who grew up with Test Match Cricket, it's making Test Match Cricket much more fun. It's evolved the sport. So for me, it's narrative of sport. You know, Grant made the point so well, I don't care how much money someone wins... To win anything it's the prestige it's the competition that goes around it and i'm not saying live and i'm not saying any event in the middle east can't do that in fact i'm absolutely certain you can i built an event in china um, a golf tournament in china from literally nothing with an audience that gave not a toss about golf right And it became one of the preeminent events on the golfing calendar until the world of golf changed and the WGCs no longer really existed as a credible force. It's possible to do, but you still need to have the right injection of the right creativity of people. You need to be brave. You need to listen to your audience, Roger. and that is exactly right. If we think golf is the answer, A, what is the question and who is the question being addressed at? And that requires people to think, not just lobbing checks. It needs checks. And a little bit more, is my point.
1: I, I, I agree, Giles, but I, th- I think this is where, I, I don't want to labour it too much, but I, this is where I think old sport, that that cloaks itself in this tradition and authenticity word, it really is missing, missing the world whizzing past in a 300-kilometre train. Where would what you've just said play out Uh, five years ago before the invent of uh, Influencer Boxing, which isn't just Influencer Boxing. It now uh, leads out to selling uh, energy drinks on the back of of the brand that they create. The thing that I believe, and this is why I wanted to do this show, uh, and why I'm, ai think, a big bullish person on, on this whole area, is that They're not throwing money anymore. We in the West have decided that's how we want to frame the conversation. Um, Grant always comes back to that. uh, Liv lost it when they started saying 200 million to Mickelson. Probably so. Again, very bad comms. But the reality is they've got all this money... Uh, backed with a a strategy to change their whole economy with a young demographic. So think of it a little bit like this. This is a country that um, doesn't have to put in old style telephone lines and can jump directly to mobile. You remember that narrative uh, X years ago when a lot of countries just immediately uh, jumped to technology That's what I think the opportunity is for uh, Dubai and for uh, Arab sport with their demographic, with their money, with the political will, because that's the other thing, whatever the guy guy says uh, happens. With all of these things, I can see a whole lot of young sports, uh, different formats, delivered in different ways, sometimes physical, sometimes in the metaverse, all centred around that area of the world. And what have we got on the other side? Because this is the other side of the argument, traditional sport. What has uh, Six Nations Rugby become now? Um, From what I read and what I hear from um, uh, uh, Woodward, uh, it's become a cue to get to the bar to get pissed up. You know, is that the authenticity that we are holding on to, the big eventer authenticity? Uh, And we look down our nose on KSI versus Logan Paul, that then sells uh, the biggest energy drink in the world. I think this episode and what we are talking about here and what's going to happen for the rest of this decade, seven years, is the whole centre of the sports industry. And that's why I get so angry with Jay Monaghan. How dare he say, oh, the Saudi money. I mean, what world is he living in? Does he not look around? So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's how I think about it, guys.
0: Well, we can debate the morals all day long, right? And, and who are we to do that, realistically speaking? But the point I think I'd like to discuss here, Roger, particularly with you, and we've had this conversation and I keep trying to find new ways to frame it. And every time I listen to you, you make a lot of sense in it, but it, it kind of connects different neural pathways in my head. And I come up with a, another f- probably futile attempt to storm your, your castle walls. tell me. I'm prepared to be out-debated. You know, no, no, no. Uh, the, the, you know, when, I, when I think about all this and I've, you know, I've watched a, a bit of golf recently and, and, you know, I've been thinking about your points with the the influence of boxing and I'll try and get my thoughts in some kind of cohesive thought here because I cause I have them and they they fly around my head in a you know like a flock of wild starlings, frankly. And I'm trying <laughs> to grab them all together. But let's start with the influence of boxing. Um, there is a culture and a tradition of man against man, not team, there's no there's no team culture, there's no loyalty to a team. Boxers come and go and they are individuals fighting other individuals, right? And so, it, yes, it, it lends itself perfectly to the kind of culture you're talking about where you can get everybody hyped up about a certain person and he comes in, he fights a few times, he flames out, and then you can go on and build a cult of personality around the next person and so on and so on. And there is a, there is a, there is a history of boxing and, and, and combat in all its sports lending itself perfectly to the pay-per-view model for sport. And that, in turn, I think falls perfectly into the hands of where this money is coming from, right? I can see very easily how you can build a very good business with a tried and trusted model, pay-per-view, this guy against that guy. And if the guy that we're hyping loses, don't worry, there's always another guy coming along. We can crank up the hype machine. We've seen it, right? And we've, and we've been through decades of abject heavyweight divisions between the sort of, I guess, the end of the Lennox Lewis era, another Tyson Fury, there was a long time where it was just really abject, didn't stop them hyping up all these various people and selling millions of dollars in pay-per-view. But now we go to golf, we go to, let's, let's take both golf, because golf's too easy with the live thing, it's too easy, let's take golf and football, right, and you mentioned the Saudi Premier League, the SPL, the, the other SPLs yeah, we'll yeah, call yeah, it yeah, right yeah, on here in too. Yeah, to Yes, you can spend an awful lot of money on a person, Cristiano Ronaldo in this case, and you can throw a lot of money at a sport. But what golf and what football have are tradition and history, and those things matter. The history of the teams matter. There's a reason why when I last went to Singapore and checked into my hotel on a Saturday night, I was drowned out by a chorus of you'll never walk alone. I happened to be checking into the hotel whose bar was the official... Singapore headquarters of the Liverpool Supporters Club and that Liverpool just about to kick off against Man United, I think it was. Those fans who were in that bar at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, whatever it was, singing their hearts out, connected with Liverpool Football Club and all its history and all its tradition, right? They're not, I don't think, going to connect with... I don't even know the name of Ronaldo's club. I don't think Ronaldo... And and that says something in itself. I don't think you're going to be able to throw your money at a sport... And compete with the likes of the Premier League, and compete with the likes of the PGA Tour. I agree with what you've said about Monaghan, um, but I would throw back at you and say they are changing their approach remarkably quickly. You don't say. in in response to yeah, in response to this threat. So you're right about the the individuals at the top of the sport and the Blazers, as as you as you often refer to them. You're absolutely right. But what I think is going to happen, and you can see it happening already, is the 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 time of reaction that these guys is speeding up. With every passing threat, um, it was very slow when the WGC came along. Uh, the, you know, the original Greg Norman assault on the on the barricades of golf it was it was slow to change. Then they've realised the threat that Live poses to them in terms of audience and in terms of controlling the narrative, and they've changed very very quickly. But again, I keep going back to to my efforts, staunch in my view, to watch Live Golf and. I defy anybody to care about it, Rog, because it's not mano a mano. It's not like a combat thing, which which I understand. I don't think you can build a narrative around Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson playing for money and some guy that no one's ever heard of beating them. I think that is doomed to be an abject failure. And then we come to football. What's happening there? Okay, on the one hand, there's this attempt to build the other SPL up, uh, and they think they're going to do that by bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo. Look, the US tried this in the 70s with Major League Soccer, right? Or whatever it was used to be called. I can't remember yeah, what, yeah. When, when they brought in Pelé and, yeah. and De Stefano and they brought every big player in the world into that country, which is already a sports-mad country, which I don't see in the Middle East already. And it failed miserably. Um, because it didn't have any tradition. It didn't have any sticking power. It took them almost 50 years to have another go at that. And I think they've got it, much better this time around. I just think that the man-on-man combat lends itself very well to Middle Eastern money and, and your business model as you see sport changing with this new generation. And I think spending your money in buying clubs with history and tradition, like they're doing with Newcastle United, for example, um, and and bringing the World Cup to your country is a fantastic way of, of getting known in the broader sporting world, but I just struggle to see, Rog, how it is going to supercharge that sport in your country. I don't think suddenly the Saudi Arabian Soccer League is going to amount to anything except you'll have an awful lot of Saudis buying Newcastle United scarves and Newcastle United shirts and adopting Newcastle United as their club.
1: Uh, Okay, this is Ding, ding, Second out. Round two. Round two. <laughs> two. Right.
0: Um, you
1: see, I was just going to
2: say. I think we've got a caller. I think we've got a caller on the line. I think it's Jay Monahan <laughs> yeah, calling yeah. in from Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, we, we wouldn't take that one. Uh, we wouldn't take that one. But I will. You wouldn't. I would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, listen, the, Grant. The, the, honestly, we always come back to this. You think with the head of a man of fifty-five years old or whatever you are your wiring can't change that because you are not in the sports industry you're in the sports industry merely as a fan and as a fan you're authentic Uh, uh, yeah
0: absolutely right well that's
1: that's where you miss this grant because you're thinking about yourself and what you want sport to be and how you understand it um, once you start saying that the kids are fundamentally different and then you start looking around at the data points, which aren't just about, you know, um, combat sports. You know, if you look at Sidemen, if you look at the Kings League with PK, if you look at the growth of uh, Paddle and Pickleball, everything is up for grabs, in my view. You don't need... Well, what's the Paddle and Pickleball demographic there, rog? It's new, it's different. It's like, you know, they're building, no you know how many, 20 courts in Central Park or whatever it is? They're no, not tennis yeah, courts. but it's not, kid. yeah, it's but who's not playing kids. It's not
2: kids. It's not kids. Who's playing but on what them?
1: But I'm, what, what I'm saying is don't focus on that. Focus on a new format that sidesteps the existing sport that if it is marketed correctly the way that the younger Gen Z demographic wants things to be marketed, that's your new sports industry. You guys always think about how do we need to change the existing sports industry and the angst about the not authentic and, and all of this. And I just say, I honestly believe you're missing the point. You don't need to change the old sports industry. You just create a new one. Tennis is done because for the reasons I've said, because of those two new sports. Can you imagine if Saudi or Dubai decides to take their money, their four trillion in wealth funds, and make them the centre of those sports? They've already got political issues with the governing bodies, those sports. They just throw a huge amount of money at it and say, we're the centre of those sports. Of what? Pickleball? Pickleball, paddle, whatever. Yeah, the, the new version of tennis.
0: Is it going to move the needle for him, Rog? I mean, really, is that well, going to move the listen, needle? Well, listen, when him?
1: you've got f- four trillion, you can do that a hundred times. A, no, a- but,
0: but how, lo- how long does your plan have to be if you're going to? make a statement by uh, by There's, becoming the centre of Pickleball. Their strategy is 2030, Grant. This is where we... Right, but that's, Rog, that's not like, like seven years from now. Yeah. and if you, if you Are you going to make a splash on the world stage in seven years by being known as the headquarters of Pickleball? Well, it's only one of the things I'm saying, Grant. Golf is the other
1: one. Maybe they got that wrong with Liv, but you can see what they're trying to do. I'm telling you, you're underestimating the SPL. Football is a game, as has been proven by Chelsea, by other people, by Man City, by PSG, All you need is the money to buy the talent and bingo, there's the audiences. Uh, uh, Yeah, but you don't, Rog. You do. Not for you, 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 not for you. If you're
0: Chelsea, you need to be playing Man United and Liverpool and Arsenal and Spurs and beating them, right? It's no good. It's no good having the money and and becoming the Paris Saint-Germain of the SPL and playing a load of nobody teams. I mean, Paris Saint-Germain, even there, it's just, a, who watches the Ligue 1? Paris Saint-Germain win it every year because they've got that much more money. There's nothing to it. You know, Chelsea was successful because they beat Manchester United and they broke that dominance and they beat Arsenal. And they, beat, they beat these storied clubs who themselves have their own histories, uh, whether it's between Chelsea and them or of, you know, habitual winning of titles. I can absolutely see that. I just I just cannot, and, I, and I'm not claiming to be right, I'm just telling you what I think, and I just cannot see a way where Ronaldo's club becoming the giant of the Saudi Arabian Football League moves the needle outside the region. I just don't see it, and I could be completely wrong. I, I think
1: you are, Grant. I think you are. I th- Football is different for the reasons you're saying, but honestly, you know, um, just let's open our minds a little bit. You know what is the biggest opportunity in sport and has been for the last six or seven years it's women's soccer women's sport in general but i'm just going to go for soccer uh, what is the major problem for women's soccer it's currently marketed and run by men who don't get it who think about it as a coffee break um uh, project to kind of like mess around with and, and virtue signal with you take serious middle east money you plant it in Dubai, or you plant it in Kedia or Neom,
0: and you make it a major. Do I have to make the obvious point? What, here? what? 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 Which is? If you think women's sport is the future, and you think that that's going to be springing out of the Middle East.
1: Well, listen. It wouldn't that be the huge win? Wouldn't that be the huge win? I I honestly think it's another thing that. You're right. Okay, how can you defend something when, you know, kids, girls in Iran can't go to school anymore? I get that. I get that. But at the same time, they are trying to do it with the SPL. There's some serious women people on that board there. Um, what if that becomes the way that they change their economy? What if they are so committed to the new strategy of 2030 that it does mean uh, the liberation of women and their place in society and you do that. The point I'm making, Grant, is they've got enough money and a young demographic to go after any sport that they want, either through the traditional way or just by the Challenger League and the Challenger format. They they can do whatever they want And, 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 you know, we're thinking that that's going to be difficult for them because we've the we're the bastions of authenticity. I don't think that makes. I mean, listen, we're going into a world now where the music industry is going to be completely disrupted by AI, completely disrupted by AI, and it's as if we are still saying, "Yeah, but Bruce Springsteen when he's on the the stage, you know that that's the big thing for the kids. It doesn't matter." Honestly, this comes back to every time with me. This is the difference. Their head, the kids, is wired differently. And and, and there's enough data points to show that now. There's enough of them. And if you put a young demographic with serious wedge and political will, nothing is without your ambition. And I think our sports industry... Jay Monahan's the worst example of it but they're all thinking the same no they can't do it nobody watches Lee 1. honestly I think in t- 10 years time we'll say what were we thinking why did we think we could hold out against this
2: well at the risk of having splinters on my backside um I why can't one have a a, a dual a dual strategy which is I, I so you, you mentioned Clive Woodward and rugby um rog, sometimes I think when you're in Como, you sit in Como and you're not always necessarily... The the Ireland-England rugby match that happened, whatever it was, two weeks ago, which was the most extraordinary... Not the match itself, just because of, of a sending off. Forget that, that's on the field. But in terms of the kids and people and the sense in Ireland of... Genu, I mean from all over the place in terms if you heard a national anthem sung like that any better any time I I defy it that is about deep heritage deep loyalty and for a man who lives in Italy where history renaissance where it's all absolutely within the culture of everything that you talk about sport Requires both. I totally agree that new formats, understanding the kids have to move forward and there will be new forms of sport, different sports we haven't heard about. But let's also forget one thing I think data doesn't always do terribly well is that children grow up. The child that you were when you were nineteen. Yeah, I don't buy I that like Giles.
1: I don't buy I know that's what well, you hold on well, to. Well, no, they do they do it.
2: grow up, rog, rog. Rog Rog, they do grow up. And you change when you become a parent. You change as a human being. And therefore, I think that there is a dual role for sport. I think the heritage sports, if that's the right expression, like cricket, have to adapt. They have to move forward. But also what Grant is also saying about authenticity, which is about genuine um, polemic, genuine um, binary win-lose, the, the victorians probably created a whole sense of history that christ the boat race is still we've, we've just had it on and what i i find it kind of ironic you've got the world cup of racing happening in dubai 27th event biggest sports person racing in the world 27 years old but it's now establishment on the same weekend it's the boat race, and still it's being watched. The numbers are still colossal on the BBC. There's a tradition, but you can run dual. I don't disagree about adaptation. I I think we've given Jay a hard time. I do know him well. He's a, He is a friend of mine. We've given him a hard time over the years. I think he made some errors, and I think he probably regrets it. We, he, we're never going to get the right, right to reply, I suspect. But I do think Grant's right is... They're not stupid at the PGA Tour. They will be adapting and changing and learning. And I think if the disruption has um, sharpened the uh, sharpened the, the knives and, and wor- worked out for people that there is real, um, A, opportunity, but real challenge, that's good for sport. But I don't buy that the whole um, old order has no, to be blown doesn't. up. No, it, it doesn't. Order. It doesn't.
1: You think about their strategy, the the, the, the Arabs... Um, hopefully you can use that word and don't have to say GCC all the time the Arab world they are investing a lot of chips in the traditional world of sport whether it's Formula One whether it's um, Super Cups in Spain and, and Italy whether it's golf uh, I, I, so like you know they're buying football clubs they're taking over the Premier League it will become the, the Petrodollar League it already is they are p- placing those chips there don't see them doing a lot in rugby. Uh, so th- there is the double strategy for sure because they've got the money to do. But here's the thing I'd like you to ask. Everything I think about in business and sport and anything comes from two elements. only two. One is money, follow the money. The second one is demographics. right? Um, when you say Ireland, England, and isn't it wonderful? The numbers interested in that, in the grand scheme of 8 billion in the, in the globe, are tiny and will continue to get tinier because here's the news, Flash: Europe doesn't have babies. It is getting older and older and older. The bulk of the younger people in this globe are brown-skinned and yellow-skinned and they come from that part of the world. And when that part of the world has also got the big money, it's not difficult to see what's going to happen. And the idea that we think that our tradition and our authenticity is going to stand against that tidal wave of demographics and six billion trillion of wealth fund, they're going to do what they want to do because that's the way the world is. You throw in the change of uh, you know China coming up and through trap and and you know China breaking Saudi and Iran peace, these are big big things. And what they want, I believe in the in, in the in the Gulf, they will get. It will be dual. They will place bets on things that they think are are sustainable, like Formula One, like the English Premier League. But they're going to take into neon every new idea and format and try and make it the center of that new idea. Whether it's pickleball, women's football, Kingsley, side, side men, all those kind of things. Th- that's where I think we're missing a trick here. The demographics and the big money are not on our side.
0: Ross, okay, so let me, let me ask you a couple of points about that. Look, the first crucial thing to understand is how they measure their return we are assuming that there is a traditional measure of return on investment here that moves the needle it may be something completely different because if it's profitability then they're going to have it's a long way grant.
1: it's not grant it's not
0: right exactly right so so we have to so we have to acknowledge that the fact is here that this money is being put in not to generate a return on that dollar but to generate Goodwill no, to generation. No, to, to, to
1: change an economy from a petrol dollar economy to a high tech media IP right. intangible sport okay. and entertainment economy. That's their KPI. Right. So
0: let's then talk about who the audience is for that, When you're changing that, if you're if you're telling me that a, trying to take a sport and change it to a younger demographic and move it more towards a young demographic in the Middle East and Asia what you're telling me is we're going to make this up on the volume, right? Because the spending power of those people you are targeting it at is tiny compared with the spending power of the same demographic in Europe and the, and the U.S. Now that's that will change over time, but that comes back to the point I made about what's their time frame here for this investment? Because if you're thinking 2030, you are going to take the youth demographic in the Middle East and Asia, and expect them to be spending the same sort of money as either the youth demographic in Europe or, God forbid, the older demographic in Europe and America, you're, you're out of your mind. It's not going to happen. Well, so, I'm, well, listen, I'm not a stats... N- not for any other reason. They just don't have it. They don't have that disposable income. You know, Grant, George. I'm not sure. Well, look at the, the GDP per head
1: in the, the Emirates. I think it's even higher than Germany now. You know? Uh, the- George, but
0: but that's, that's the wrong metric. It's the wrong... The GDP per head is the wrong metric because that money doesn't flow to the average person in the street. You're, talking, you're taking the GDP, which is distorted massively by oil revenues, and you're dividing it by the population. But we know that that money does not get divided by the population, right? It just doesn't. There, there, if, you're, if you're talking about the young demographic in the Middle East and Asia versus the middle class in Europe... Middle class. Oh, you said middle class not, now. Middle class, not working class. But but, but that's... Roger. there's middle class in sport. I'm talking spending potential, right? If, if you are saying that this money is coming in to be in any way a business and yeah. that they are targeting the demographics in, in the Middle East and the demographic in Asia of youth, they simply don't have the spending power of the young demographic in Europe, the young demographic in America. It's not even close. It's not even close. Um, and I don't have the, the numbers... To hand, there will be a, t- a point in time where it flips over. There will be a point in time where that that population pyramid that you're talking about from that part of the world is so much bigger than the West. But again, it's about purchasing power parity, not you know GDP per capita. It's completely different. And I just I look at this and I I, t- I totally take your point. I can see where you're going with it, and I think it's a point well made. But it only works to me if you are not concerned about making a return on your investment, a physical financial return on your investment that will be better than the return you have currently focused uh, on, the demographic you're focused on, which is older and in the West. Well, I, um,
1: I don't agree with that, Grant. Uh, f- listen, I, we're, we, neither of us have got the stats in front of us, but e- if even you just take the middle class in India and China... Numbers, forget the working class. I think they're big enough to dwarf our entire population now in spending power. The same argument about dividing it by the number of the population works on that side as well. If you take out the super poor in China and India, if you eliminated them from the calculation, what's left, I think, is quite a wealthy population.
0: Well, but but, but Roger, are you but, are you, but hang on, hang on. You can't equate middle class in India with middle class in America or, or Italy. No, I'm equating middle class
1: in India with working class in Europe. That's the point I'm making. There's enough middle class in the emerging markets to overwhelm what we consider the working class that aren't
0: having any kids anymore. And what age are they? What age are they in in these economies? I, I, what I age is the middle I, class? Because it's not your young demographic.
1: Well, but they're, they will have children that are the young demographic. That This is a household that has got spending power and and sure. there's, there's enough of them. You know, so the, the, the demographic thing, which neither of us have got this, the this stats on, and and the way I'm saying it is, I believe that the, those numbers are only going to go in one direction, especially when... You know, the working class in Europe, which is uh, traditionally supported, let's say, soccer, uh, they're not going to do very well in the next few uh, uh, decades, are they, Grant? They're not going to do very well. So when you say the the glorious perching power of the guy from Slough, I'm not bullish on that purchasing power. I'm more bullish on the son of the Indian doctor in Mumbai being interested in what has been put out in the Middle East as a modern Gen Z sports product. That's that's a big demographic play that will take decades to. But you know, direction of travel. I know what I'm betting on, and and, and it's the stuff that those people in Asia and the Middle East are going to be interested in. And they can be constructed. You can construct what they're going to be interested in because they have been shown to be interested in what you market to them.
2: Well, I think it builds on, on what Roger's saying and, and, and something that we're all debating in sport is what sports are going to resonate in the future? And that, does that mean sports that have adapted, like cricket? which I feel, and I think we've discussed on the podcast, feels in pretty good health uh, across the board. It's got... It's Asian a, sport. Asian a, sport. So it hits the demographic, to Roger's point, but the format has also adapted itself um, as an entertainment vehicle that both the old guards, the old stuffies like us like, but also the kids seem to love. Um, I look at other sports. We've talked about um, pickle and, and padel. I think that... that I think both sports are appealing to people who are not quite as athletic as they used to be. And that's a very powerful demographic because it's you need time and money to, and you need to have the, the, the ability to, to, to play those kind of sports. Golf fits into that as well. Um, but golf has got to, to figure a few things out. And I think one of the things that we should be looking at um, in due course is what Rory and Tiger and others are doing where they're trying to um, really um, shake up golf with stadium golf. Um, and I think there's going to be more of that coming in the next uh, nine to 12 to 15 months, a very different type of more like the Phoenix Waste Management Open, but on a sort of Monday night type thing. I think you're going to see a lot of change in golf there. We then see sports like Um, extreme e which are playing a a sort of uh, motorsport in terms of sustainability card but how much is that sticking formula e i don't know the numbers clearly very worthy trying to say that electric vehicles are the future which they probably are but do we care? I don't know. I'm not a, a motorsport um, person, so I'm I'm interested in this kind of the old sports adapting rugby sevens, which is not a new sport. It's actually about 130 years old. It was invented in Scotland as a training as a training way for for for, for um, in the borders. But I don't think rugby sevens. Um, As a social occasion, the Dubai Sevens, the Hong Kong Sevens, they're amazing events, and they will sustain at that level. But I'm not sure they've quite got the sport right in terms of bringing in... It's a great way for a a sort of fun weekend, but it should be a heavyweight sport. It's an Olympic sport, for goodness sake. It should be very, very compelling. So I, I guess I'm interested, particularly because we're talking about this show um, from Falcon, which is about there is money and there is investment coming from this region. If you had a billion dollars, maybe this is a good question for Rog. What would you be? Oh, that's in? easy. I would
1: take uh, women's soccer and place it right in Dubai. Uh, I'm saying Dubai for Falcon. Uh, could be anywhere. Could be Doha. Anything like that. It's just that's dead easy. Dead easy. Uh, you create uh, one rights holder uh, of a Premier League of women's soccer. You also control the international games so you've got nobody pissing you around with your calendar and taking your players away, getting them injured. You control that as well. Uh, you set it up as an IPL model. Um, you make it the fulcrum of the the rise of the female in the Middle East. Uh, and you create the kind of personalities of women celebrity that we did with the Spice Girls. Uh, they don't need to be the best singers. They don't need to be the best football players. But you can create a modern entertainment product that sells from Vladivostok to uh, Mumbai to uh, Brasilia, everything like that. That's that's easy. That is by far the biggest investment opportunity in sport.
0: I I, I don't disagree, you I think you're absolutely dreaming if you think they're going to go anywhere near that. I just think that cre- that cre- that opens a can of worms that, that the Middle East just isn't ready to deal with right now. I just don't think... I mean, look, do You're right, is, of course you're right. The UAE is, and the UAE is, but there's absolutely no chance Saudi or Qatar are ready to deal with something like that. I, I think you're right. I, I would do the same thing. I would put the money in the same sport... But I would do I would do it in a way that they've done with, with Newcastle United, for example. I would I would try and establish a league in Europe and back it and I'd I'd invest the money, but I wouldn't think for one second about bringing it to the Middle East. But Rog, how how are you gonna get the, the players to come? How are you gonna how are you going entice Ching Ching No Ching Ching No. No, no, tell you, Grant. No, no. Follow the money, Rog. The limits to money. Rog. Listen, the I'm limits the next to man money. The armistments is money. There is not, not. There is not enough money to bring a female soccer league to the Middle East. I just don't. I just don't believe that, Rog. I really don't. But look, I, I, as I said, I, I think there's a there's a way to do that. But you just back the. European Soccer League, right? You just back a women's soccer league. No, because this is
1: is a very interesting debate. Because sadly, sport has still got this really incredibly silly way of governance. It's called management by geographical area. You set out, just like the Roman Empire does, the little kind of uh, protectorate uh, in Judea uh, and in Gaul and everything like that. They're called UEFA, they're called CONCACAB, and things like that. As soon as you try and do it in Europe, you have to deal with UEFA and a zillion federations. The English one, the German one, the Albanian one, the Scottish one, the Welsh one. It's absurd. Anybody investing serious capital is not going to deal with these jokers because all they will do is block you. That is the, the history of sport in recent years. So you go to a place where the... The regulator, if you will, the governing body, can be manipulated, and I think uh, I may be wrong in this. I used to know this. Yeah, I may be wrong there's
0: no sign of FIFA or UEFA being manipulated. Well, no, you be don't. That any you
1: just of- you just go if, if they don't want to play ball with the Asian Federation, which is part of FIFA, and I think Arabia is part of the Asian Federation. You take control of the Asian Federation, you say to FIFA, you mess us around and we're going on our own, but we'll play ball, we'll play part of the FIFA household. Oh, and by the way, Janny, you see how we've ripped a women's game away from UEFA. Isn't that good for you? Isn't that exactly what you want to kill UEFA? You make the Asian Federation and women's football, and in general, men's football, like they're doing with the SPL, You're killing UEFA, he's going to love that. You know, all of this stuff... The more, the more I get on this soapbox. It's about money, it's about demographics, and it's about a political chessboard. It's got very little to do with authenticity and, and credibility and tradition, which is where you guys always start. And I think that's your mistake. You need to think about the things I just said. That's maybe, what drives the maybe, world. Maybe Rog,
0: maybe Rog, maybe. But I think there are limits to. And, I, and I, it's not that like I don't buy into what you're saying at all. But I think there are limits, and I think there are hard limits in certain places, certain sports. And I think you've just found one. But Charles, you're the guy who is used to having a check to
2: spend on sports. What would you do with a billion dollars? Well, I, I absolutely think you know. You you both been talking about women's football and wherever it's based. I, I absolutely, one hundred percent, it is the global game. The society is cha- is changing all over the world, and there is no doubt. And and also without because you're actually dealing with far less heritage in terms of the clubs and the powers and blazers from the hundred years old. You've got the opportunity to to really start again and. I would I would have to agree with that. That is not, by the way, a sort of a taster of where I'll be going. That's just on a personal point of view um, of where I, I would see great growth. So, I mean, it's exciting. But, do you know, it, it, all of this, these conversations continue to make working in the sports industry and being involved in the sports industry, whether you're a fan, whether you're involved in the finance of it, whether you're involved as a commentator of it, whatever, um, makes it such an exciting Uh, Place Because it's just a reflection of the world we live in. Sport can only reflect the world we're in. We are seeing massive socioeconomic changes happening in the world through technology, through societal shifts. I mean, if we were doing this podcast, if they'd been invented 15 years ago, we'd be talking about bricks we'd be talking about how powerful China was going to be to the world. And of course, China is entirely powerful, but it's a very different conversation that we're having now about where China is to the rest of the world. And that to me is what is so exciting is that sport continues to pivot, continues to change. It's either ahead of the curve and very often is is not and um, that allows us to have this this platform to argue and to debate well let me let, to, um, let, let to, me to i mean
1: on that point Giles I'd like to ask both of you on exactly that point if you think about you know probabilities and grant saying that'll never happen or you'll never get that to happen what probability would you grant have put on china breaking a deal with iran and saudi which is fundamentally centuries-old struggle there. What possibility would you put on that? Uh, add in...
0: Right, you, yeah. I, I take your point. I take your point. I take your point, right? but But that's... That's a very, very different issue than the one we're talking about. Why, a, a why, why is that? Anything can be done for politics and money. A- anything can be done these days. A- and, and, and Rog, and maybe in a couple of hundred years, there'll be a women's soccer league and to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and maybe it'll be broken by China in a couple of hundred years. Maybe. couple of hundred I'll tell weeks. A couple of hundred you, weeks. You can mark it here. It
1: ain't happening in our lifetimes, mate. Uh, tell- I think it is. I think it is. And that's why this is interesting because, you know, I I genuinely do. Listen, you know, uh, sure, I love this whole, you know, end of era moment and, you know, AI is an industrial revolution type change that most people are still underestimating. The change in the reserve currency of the dollar, the massive demographics, uh, 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 all, all of those things, I genuinely believe, Everything, everything is up for grabs now. And anybody that is saying this isn't the way we've always done it and that's not authentic, I think is going to get steamrolled in every aspect of life, business, and society. Grant, everybody's going to get steamrolled. Uh,
0: yeah, I would love, I would love you to be right on this one. I'm, I'm very, very happy if I'm wrong. So this uh, is, this is a, a no lose for me. If I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm happy. So uh, this is a no lose for me. Well, look, gents, this has yeah. been a fantastic. Uh, conversation really really enjoyed every minute of it. Um, thanks uh, thanks to you two for for being such a big part of it. Our thanks to Falcon for sponsoring this. Um, it's been a you know it's a conversation that we will keep revisiting because this is this is going to morph and change in ways that none of us have any clue uh, how that's going to happen as as we move forward. But I think we've laid out some some interesting possibilities this uh, this last hour, Jen. So so thanks for that uh thanks, as always, to you for listening to us. Um, we enjoy the feedback, so please keep it coming. If you don't follow us already, you'll find us uh, on Twitter at EntertainedR, that's the word, uh, A-R-E. You'll find me at
2: TTMYGH. And you can follow me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And you can follow myself at RPM Como as in the lake. As in the
0: lake. And if you do want to follow one of the SPLs, do Roger a favour and make sure it's the original. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Falcon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.